Hey, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Nice couple of days. You know what month it is? It's August. I know it. It's almost like I love August, but then it's like, you know what's coming. So let's enjoy these last two days of summer that we'll have till winter comes. We're glad that you're here this morning. We've been uh, looking at the book of Judges over the summer. And we're continuing, we're going to be in chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, we're going, to, we're going to jump right into the Word of God this morning. You can look at Judges chapter 6. And um, what, what's interesting about our study in the book of Judges is we're looking at God taking his people and taking them out of Egyptian bondage, bringing them through the wilderness experience for 40 years, and then, and then bringing, to, bringing them to this promised land called Canaan. And, and it's going to be through God bringing his people together that God is, is wanting to bring his people to his side, to do great things through them, to be a witness to the nations around them. The problem is, is Israel going to be a witness to the nation around them, or are the nations around them going to influence them and cause them to go wayward from their relationship with God. And the one thing that God desired more than anything from Israel was to have a relationship with them, to bless them, to lead them, because out of this nation, we would know would eventually come the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so the book of Judges happens some 1,200 years before Jesus steps foot on the earth. And the reason why I wanted to study the book of Judges is it really is a great reflection of our heart. And, and how many times that we can serve the Lord and feel close to God, then at times feel like, why, why do I feel so far away? And how many know we, we all trip and we fall at times, don't we? We all make unwise decisions at time. And the book of Judges is all about God's grace and giving something to Israel that they didn't deserve. And so what we're going to be looking at today is once again, we're going to be looking at God raising up a leader to deliver them from the oppression of the enemy around them. But here's the thing I want us to see today. As we've studied Judges, we've kind of seen this uh, same story over and over again, that Israel gets oppressed by their enemy. They turn away from God. God allows the enemy to kind of subdue them. Then eventually they cry out to God, and then God raises up this judge or this leader to deliver them from the oppression of the enemy around them. And as long as that judge is alive, there's peace in the land. And as soon as that judge dies, all of a sudden, it seems like Israel goes back to their old ways. They turn away from the Lord. They begin to serve the idols and the nations around them. And then God go through the whole circle again, where God allows the enemy to come in to subdue them. But here's the thing we're going to look at today, a little bit different in this chapter. God gives them something that they truly need. And the thing that Israel needed more than anything else was God's word. The thing that Israel needed more than anything else than even having God come and deliver them, because that was the easy part. God could easily deliver them, but what God wanted more than anything else from Israel was their heart. He wanted to show them the root of why they were in the mess that they were in. And I think for some, if we are honest with ourselves so many times, when we look at our lives, we blame other things for the messes that we're in. And what God wants to do for us is just have a reality check on our hearts and really look at what is the true enemy in our life. Is it always someone else or is there an enemy within us that can easily trip us up to go wayward from God? And that's what we're going to look at today. So I want to jump into Judges chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. The Bible's in the seat in front of you. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. Please take those and um, use those and read that. And, and, and that's our gift to you. You can look up at the screens. But we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 here. We're going to kind of look through this whole chapter today as we've been methodically going through the book of Judges. But here's what happens. <clears throat> what we're going to see again in Judges chapter 6 says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites, this is how bad it got. It said the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crop, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the Parasites, all the ites, what they would do is, and all the Eastern people, they invaded it. There was absolutely, and so what you have here, there was no hope for Israel. They were under the control of these enemies around them. And it was literally oppressive. 
And so what happens is it says they camped on the land and, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not even spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They were devastated. And then it says they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. And it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land and they ravaged it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So finally, after all this devastation, they finally cry out to the Lord for help. How many of you parents raising your kids, maybe your kids are older or you're in the midst of raising your children uh, right now, and when your child did something wrong, how many of you found it a struggle uh, to get them to the point of true repentance for feeling sorry for what they did or, or to just admit that they did something wrong. I mean, it's always a struggle. Uh, were they really truly sorry for what they had done or only the consequences that it was going to bring? And, and I think this is, this is what we're seeing with Israel. We're, we're seeing Israel, were they, were they truly repent because of, because of their um, lack of the acknowledgement of God in their life? Or were they just sorry because of the oppression that they were in? And you kind of see this as you, you know, with people when you get into trouble, you do something wrong or you're a parent with, with your kids and you're trying to teach them and trying to discipline them. Um, you you, you want to you get them to the point to where it's more than just the consequences of their actions. So you want them to see that, okay, the consequences of your action, we're going to take away your GameCube. That's what my kids used to play, GameCube or Xbox or PlayStation, which is the end of the world for most kids, right? You do that. And so the, the reason why they may feel repentant is because, because of the consequence of their sin. You're going to do something. You're going to take away something. You're going to discipline them because of that. And then they think, my, my life is over. But what God wanted to do for Israel is, is allow them to see something far deeper than the consequences of their sin that led them to that point. Because they just seemed, they didn't get it. How many of you have ever done something and you did it again? You did the very same thing. You said, I shouldn't do this thing. And then you end up doing the very same thing you said you wouldn't do. Anybody out there that's like me? Okay, good. Just checking. Just checking that you're with me there. Okay. I saw some of your spouses hitting your spouse there saying, you better listen to pastor. He's spot on this morning. I'm glad you came to church this morning. Let me give you this statement right off the bat. False repentance, false repentance is sorrow over the consequences of the offense and not the sin itself. That, that's, and that's what you were trying, listen, that's what God tries to teach us. That's what we're trying to teach our kids. Not just that you're sorry over the consequence because you're going to lose something, but that you understand that, that something happened that caused you to break trust, to break our trust. Something got in between our relationship. And what's more important is the relationship that we're building. And that's what God wanted Israel to see. So the cycle for Israel during this time was one of peace, then times of oppression. And then God would raise up this leader to help them. And so Israel would find themselves in this severe oppression at the hands of the Midianites. And basically the Midianites took everything from them. Can I just be honest with you this morning? That's what sin does. It robs us of everything. It destroys us. It ultimately ruins our relationship with God. And that's the whole reason why God sent Jesus for us. To relieve us of our, our oppression. To set us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so the root of our problem is not everybody else or all the things that's going on in the, in the world. The problem is the sin within us to lead ourselves away from God and that relationship that God desires to have with us. And the reason why Jesus came was to restore something that was broken. And what's broken is our spirit. What's broken is our spiritual lives because of sin and the devastate. And so the effects of that, you know, listen, sometimes we think, well, what, 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 what is sin? Because everybody defines sin differently, right? right? We, 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 for some people say, well, that, well, okay, you don't do that, but that's fine for me. I can do that. Listen, do you realize that something good can actually become a sinful thing? You know, we love our kids, but how many know we can idolize our kids and that can become a sin? We love food, right? Do we, love, do we not love food? We love food. I love food. You love food. We love food, right? But how many know it, 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 if we're not careful, that can become a sin? 
something in our life, if that becomes an idol and, 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 and becomes out of the will of God, that thing can become sin. And so what God is telling the Israelites is, I want your heart. You are in this oppression. I've allowed this to happen, but I want to speak to your heart. I want you to see the root of what's going on in your life. So before God gives them a deliverer, what what we're going to see in this chapter is God's going to give them his word because he wants to see a heart change. And God did not want to enable them. How how many know how easy would it be for God to see? Do you think it hurt God's heart to see the oppression that they were in for seven years? Of course But God knew if he could deliver them right away, do you think that they would learn? No, because God didn't want to enable them. So what does it mean to enable someone? Well, it's when someone else consistently fixes something for someone else. And so let me give you this statement. Enabling someone doesn't fix them even though we feel we are helping them. It doesn't ultimately help them. So let, let me dig. Let me let me just let me dig into this a little bit, because this is not what God wanted to do for Israel, and obviously for a parent with a child or with a spouse. We know this because we know enabling them is ultimately not going to help them. We don't want to enable someone to continue in a dysfunctional behavior. We may think we are being unloving by not helping them, but the loving thing to do is to get them the right kind of help. And so for God not responding, we might think, well, God, why didn't God respond right away? Well, the most loving thing God is going to do for them, we're going to see that in just a minute. When we enable someone, we're not allowing that person to take responsibility for their life. And God wanted Israel to take responsibility for the reason why they were in the condition that they were in. And I I, I want you to notice in verse 1, it says that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them over to the Midianites. He didn't deliver them right away. He actually gave them over and allowed the oppression to happen in their life. It wasn't that God stopped loving them, but God didn't want to enable them. God wanted them to understand why they were in the mess that they were in. So basically, Israel needed a wake-up call. And how many know some of us here today, at times, we need wake-up calls in our lives to respond to the very thing that God is telling us. Cause so many times we can hear the wrong voices speaking to us that enables us to continue in wrongful behavior that God doesn't desire for us. Somebody give me an amen. That was good preaching right there. Right? So, so this is what God wanted for them. And so it's not that God stopped loving them. He loved them with all his heart and God's going to send them of deliver and Gideon as we're going to see in this chapter. But God wanted to do something first in, his, in their heart. And so they needed a wake-up call. And he wanted them to see the depths of their sin and how it caused a barrier between them and God. Between them and God. And so Israel was crying out because they were oppressed. But God wants them to see the root of their oppression. And so this is what God's going to do for them. He's going to show them it's not the Midianites. That wasn't the root of their problem. God would help them see who the real enemy was. And listen, if we can understand this today with, the, with the, who the real enemy is, it will set you free. It will help you deal with the real issues in your life and the problems in your life and help you to have the relationship that God desires to have with you and not be an enabled relationship or a dysfunctional relationship, but allow you to see the reality of your heart and and, and the reality of our hearts and how God desires to have a relationship with us and have a heart change more than anything else. So could God have taken care of the Midianites? Of course, in a flash, in 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 a wink of an eye, they could be removed. But the problem would be this. Would Israel learn? And so our problem, I believe with all my heart, is we fight the wrong enemy. We're fighting the wrong battle. And so we tend to fight this battle that God's saying, you can fight this all you want, but I ain't in it. Have fun. And we get frustrated. And we get frustrated. And we wonder why our lives are not going the way it should be. It's because we're fighting the wrong enemy battle. We're fighting against the wrong things. And so this is what God wanted Israel to to hear and to know and to understand. So Israel cries out, help us against the Midianites. 
And God will actually tell them, no, I need you to overcome yourselves first. And so God's going to help them to understand who the real enemy is. And so this is what I want to, I want to just look at three things this morning about who the real enemy is. And this is what God wanted the, the Israelites to understand. So I want to look at the first one, who is the real enemy. And I want us to understand, first of all, the, our real enemy is sin, that that's who we're fighting against. We know that behind the scenes is the devil himself in temptation and wanting us to move away from that relationship with God. So the real enemy is sin. And so before God, here's what God does for them. Before he delivers them from the Midianites, he's going to give them a sermon. I love this. Before God would give them a deliverer, they needed a sermon. They needed to hear God's word. And so what God does is, before he delivers them, he hears their cries. It's not that he's immune to that or he doesn't care, but he cares more about their hearts and, 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 and them understanding why they're in the mess that they're in. And so what he does is he sends a prophet. And this prophet gives a word to the Israelites. Now, the prophet during that time is one who spoke on behalf of God and spoke directly God's word to them. And so a prophet would be someone who would speak the word of God to their very hearts. And and if you were a prophet and you did not speak God's word directly of what God says, you could die for that. So it was a very important office and it was one that you would never take lightly. And so let's, let's move on in Judges chapter six and see what the, the prophet said. And so here, here, here God says, he sent them a prophet who said this and, and he speaks to the reality of what's going on. He says, this is what the Lord The God of Israel says, I am your God, the God of Israel, your personal God. He said, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hands of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. He's reminding them, I am your deliverer. And I said to you, I am the Lord who your God personal God, relationship God. I'm not like the gods of Egypt. I'm not like the the other countries who oppressed you, who put you into slavery. I'm the God who delivered you. Have you forgotten that? Look at all that I've done for you. And he says, this is what I said to you. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But listen to God's assessment of it all. He says, but you have not what? You didn't listen to me. I've done all these things for you, but you refuse to listen to my word. So Israel's main problem wasn't the Midianites. It was their disobedience. That was their problem. They thought their problem was the Midianites. God says, your problem was not that because I delivered you from the hands of your oppressors over and over and over again. I cleared it out for you so you could go into this land you were disobedient. You didn't listen to me. And so God loved them so much that he sent them a prophet to speak the word to them. Have you ever, have you ever listened to a, a sermon maybe online or maybe here on Sunday morning and, and you felt like they had a hidden microphone in your house? Like, wait a minute, how, how do they know what's going on? I mean, I've had that happen to me a couple of times. Like, did, 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 you know, Pastor, did my spouse talk to you about anything? Right. Did you get a call, email, right? Um, and, and we know what that is. It, you know, we know what that is. We know that that's the word of God speaking to us, convicting our hearts. And so God, what he does is he, he, he speaks to them and he wants to speak to their heart. And so he loved them so much that he brings a prophet to speak the word of truth to them, to speak to their hearts. And God does that so many times when we read his word or maybe we're listening to a message where all of a sudden we feel the conviction of our heart and it's like, Okay, God, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And it's not that God wants to beat us up, but God loves us so much that he wants us to hear his voice over all the other voices in this world. And so God hears their cry, but he wants their cries to be one of repentance and not necessarily one that we just need a deliverer. Paul explains this so well in 2 Corinthians as he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, listen, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 
See, godly sorrow says, God, um, I missed it with you. See, God wanted Israel to cry out to say, it's not just the minutes, it's, it's we don't have a relationship with you anymore because of our waywardness and our disobedience. And so the enemy was sin. Sin broke their relationship with God. And so, listen, as you walk closer and closer with the Lord, as you grow in your relationship with Christ, which that's my prayer for you, is that you would allow Christ to direct your heart and lead your life and that you would have a hunger to know him and to know his word and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and life. This is what you are going to discover as you grow closer and closer with Jesus. Tim Keller, I think, hits it out of the park when he says this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Can I get an amen? So true. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. I love that. Very, as you grow closer to the Lord, you're going to realize, man, I'm a flawed individual. I make so many mistakes. But then at the very same time, you're going to understand how loved you are and accepted you are by Jesus Christ. The closer you get to God, the more he's going to reveal things in your heart, in your life that ought not be there. But he doesn't want to leave you there. He's like, Barden, I know who you are and I know your heart and I know you're not perfect and I know you make mistakes, but I want you to know at the very same time, I love you and I accept you and I want you to grow in me. And so the closer we get to God, it's like the closer you get to a fire, right? You're way back and the closer you get, the hotter it gets. And the closer we get to God, the more he's going to purify us and remove things out of our lives for a reason, not just to reveal our flaws and to beat us up and make us feel no good, but to realize, I want you to grow closer to me and realize my love. And this is where God's grace comes in. Because the more I realize that I'm flawed, the greater God's grace is. And so what God does for us, listen to me, listen to me. Do they deserve a deliverer? Does Israel deserve to be delivered? Absolutely not. They're the ones that walked away from God. God reminds them through the prophet, look what I've done, look what I've done. But yet God still raises up a deliverer to rescue them. Why? God's grace, God's grace. None of us in this room deserve the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Yet through his love and mercy, he receives us. That's the gospel message packaged up for you right there. It's a beautiful thing. That's why I love Jesus so much. Because he's done everything for us and he doesn't expect us to do it ourselves. And so God in his grace speaks to this, a man named Gideon to deliver them from the hands of Midian. And so what happens here? Let me give you the story here. What happens here? An angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and tells him the Lord is with you. He actually calls him a mighty warrior. Now, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of funny because we're going to find out who Gideon really is. Here's the big problem. Um, Gideon is not the guy you would think who's going to lead Israel to be delivered from the Midianites because basically when God speaks to Gideon, Gideon is basically hiding out in a wine press, beating out wheat. And so here's... The story, God speaks to him, he comes to him, Gideon's hiding out from the Midianites, he's, he's in this wine press, he's beating out just enough wheat so he can get by and eat, and so God says, hey, mighty warrior, and he's like, you talking about me? Who are you talking about, right? He's like, Who, what? You're, are you, you know, you talking to me, right? It's, it's, he's like, yeah, you, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you and listen to the conversation. This is great. And judges, as we continue on judges chapter six, it says, and, and then Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of the Midians. Hey, he got it wrong, didn't he? Was it God's fault? See, that they didn't realize. It was their fault. It wasn't God's fault. They walked away from God. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save. He didn't, God didn't even get in the argument with him about that. He just said, listen, I'm going to call you. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hands of Midian. 
He goes, do not I send you. I am sending you. And then he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So he, his family is the weakest within the, the tribe of Manasseh. And he says, and I am the least in my father's house. You're picking me? Really? God, are you sure about this? Do you want to change your mind? Because I'm not the guy for this job. This is above my pay grade. And then the Lord said to him, what? But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Those are pretty powerful words right there. And so what Gideon was, Gideon was mistaken to believe that God left them. And God was working through their circumstances to lead them back to him by wanting them to repent and turn to him. So here's what we're going to see in this story is that what God wanted to do. So, you know, we think, okay, did Gideon get right up and then go and say, okay, I'm going to defeat the minions as, as, as of one man. No, there's a lot more happening here because how many of you know with God, it's a process. There's a process. How many of you know that we may trust God? And then it's like something happens. We're like, oh, okay, was that really God? Is he really telling me to do this? I'm not sure about this. And then we have to trust God and there's faith that goes into it. So it's not just that's it. And he goes and fights and wins the war. There's a process here that needs to happen because God needed to deliver Gideon from himself before God could use him to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. Listen, your biggest enemy is going to be yourself at times. Your biggest struggle is not what's out there, but what, what is within here. Doubt, lack of faith. Can I really trust you, Lord? Those are the things that, that we fight against most. And so when we look at the real enemy as sin, God is going to show Gideon there's two things in your life that I need to reveal to you that you're going to have to trust me in this war against the Midianites to, to, to be delivered from the oppressor. I got to first deliver you from these two things. If you're going to be the person that's going to stand up and do what I want you to do. And so, so Gideon and God continue to have this conversation. So who is the real enemy? Well, the real enemy, our real enemy is self-reliance. And so what God needed to reveal to Gideon is you cannot rely on yourself. If you're going to win this battle, I'm going to have to strip you of everything, of your lack of confidence, your lack of faith. I got to strip you of because you've got to know that I'm going to be with you to be successful, to fight this battle. And yes, you may feel like you're not well equipped. Those are the type of people God loves. You may feel like you're not the man for the job. God says, that's okay. I'm going to be with you. I'm not expecting you to, to be perfect. I'm just expecting you to be obedient. And so a real enemy is self-reliance. So, so God did not want Gideon relying on himself. So God speaks to Gideon and encourages him. Now, here's the thing. I just want to take a side note. It's interesting that it talks about this angel of God. And I just want to dive into this. Can I just take a side road just for a second here? Because this is really good stuff. Who is the angel? Because if you read through these passages, it's really interesting. In these verses, we see this interchangeable. The angel speaks and then God speaks. It's kind of interesting. And what we understand about scripture or the definition of an angel, it really leads, it really means messenger. There's a messenger that came to speak to Gideon. And what many scholars believe, and I believe also, this was a pre-incarnation of Jesus speaking to Gideon. And many times when you see the Lord or the angel of the Lord speaking in the Old Testament, it very well could be, and many scholars believe that it was a pre-incarnation of Jesus. I want you to listen to the conversation that Gideon has with the Lord. And this is why I believe this is true and why some scholars get this right. Judges, in verse, Judges 6 verses 22 and 23, look at what Gideon does here. It says, when Gideon realizes that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, what? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. He's speaking to God here. He's saying sovereign. It's not an angel. He's speaking to God himself. And he goes, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, listen, if anybody understands, especially when we read through um, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, as if you would see God face to face, what would happen? You would what? Die. You guys got it. You, you understand. So all of a sudden, I want you to understand something here. It's not that he's all excited like, oh, whip de doo da day I got to see, I got to see God. He's terrified at this point. And then it says, but the Lord says to him, peace, do not be what? Afraid. 
afraid, for you are not going to what? Okay, so that's not angel, angel. That's not Gabriel, okay? He's seen the Lord. He's seen this pre-incarnation of Jesus himself speaking to him and encouraging him. So Gideon is terrified and knows he should have died because he just saw the Lord himself. Capital, Lord. Jehovah God, the God of Israel. And then what are the words to Gideon when God says to him, he says, Gideon, don't be terrified. I've revealed myself to you and I'm going to be with you. And with the encouragement of God, Gideon listens to the Lord and Gideon, what he does is, is this is a great symbolic act of, of Gideon uh, becoming obedient to the Lord. What Gideon does next after he hears from the Lord and sees the face of God, listen, when God speaks to your heart, you can't go back. When God changes your heart and he speaks to you and he shows you who you are, it can't be the same old, same old. Can I get an amen? Something changes. And this is why we know something changed in Gideon. What Gideon does after he hears the Lord, the thing he does immediately is Gideon breaks down the altars built to the pagan gods. And this is the symbolic act of what stood in the way of Israel. And so he breaks down all these altars that were, were erected to these pagan gods around them and he destroys them. See, he needed to trust God through the process. And we have to understand that life is a process. We feel good and strong at one moment and then we're going to feel feeble at the next moment. But God knows that. God is just not going to leave us. He knows that with everything that life hands us, it's a test of our faith to trust him through the process. Right? That, that's the Buffalo Bills mantra right now of, of Coach McDermott. We know that it says, trust the process. Okay, we're trusting. Get us somewhere now, okay? We're trusting the process. All right? trust, that, that's their mantra. But this is, this is what we need to realize. That we're going to have ups and downs and life's going to throw us a curveball. And there's going to be times we're going to feel overwhelmed. But God says, listen, I do not want you to be self-reliant on yourself. Don't rely on yourself. I will be with you. And that's why God revealed himself in such a powerful way to Gideon. And so the second thing that God needed to strip um, Gideon of, and we're going to see this in the process, was he's, he tells him, listen, you can't be... Uh, have any kind of self-assurance. So our real enemy is, is really self-assurance. It's relying on ourselves. So what's interesting about this is, so Gideon sees the Lord, he tears down the altars, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go. God's led me to go fight the Midianites. And so Gideon, before he goes to war, now he's a little unsure. He's like, I don't know about this, right? Have that ever happened to you? You're like, okay, I heard from God. And now I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden our faith maybe is not as strong as we thought. Here's the process again. And so what Gideon does is pretty interesting. He says to God, I want to know that you really spoke to me. Now he just saw God face to face. He said, I'm going to be with you, right? I mean, what, what more do you need, right? I mean, God parts the Red Sea, sends manna from heaven. What, you know, you'd think, why did Israel like keep going back on the Lord? I mean, they were given these great miracles, water out of a rock and manna from heaven and parting the Red Sea and drying up the Jordan River. You think they would just be on fire and revival 24 hours a day, right? But how many know our hearts get in the way and life gets in the way and we struggle. And so what, what Gideon does here, he says, I want to make sure I heard from the Lord. So what he does is he places this wool fleece on the threshing floor and he kind of throws out this test to God. And he says, God, if there is dew on the fleece and then the ground around it is all dry, then I will know that you've called me to save the Israelites. Next morning, he wakes up, boom, the little fleece, his fleece jacket was all wet, the ground around it, the fleece he threw out, it was all dry. So he's like, oh, great, you know. Now you think, okay, let me go. Let me go fight the, the Midianites. Not so fast. Our walk with God is a process, right? And, and, and we struggle with our faith at times. Did we really hear from the Lord? And then the, and the, next day God, uh, the next day, Gideon wanted to make sure that this was a God thing. 
and, and even expressing to God, God, don't be, don't be angry with me, but just, just, just to make sure. I know I saw you face to face and I felt like I was going to die, but let me just make sure that you're speaking to me. So what he does is he says, listen, if the fleece is dry and the ground around it is wet, then I know that it's you. So what happens? Sure enough, God did exactly what, what Gideon asked. Now, I think we can judge Gideon a little bit for testing, you know, testing the Lord. Um, but let me look at it this way. If it was so wrong or sinful, why did God respond in such a positive way? So, so I, I, want, I want to go back, go back where God was saying, okay, Gideon, I know, listen, we're all weak at times, aren't we? And it was God's way of showing Gideon, Gideon, that is the dumbest thing in the world, the fleece and the wet. I showed you face to face and you got this fleece thing. It's like us trying to look in our Cheerio, Cheerio bowls saying, God, can you give me a message in my Cheerio bowls or can the clouds say something? You know, it's just, it's kind of, isn't it? Don't we kind of look for things like that sometimes? God, give me a sign, right? And then all of a sudden it happens and it's this silly thing. Oh, that was a sign, right? That was a sign because my Cheerio spelled out God in my, in my bowl in the morning and that must have been a sign. And So God, oh, you know, and we, we, don't we do that sometimes though? We do. And God's like, really? Really? Did you not look up at the stars the night before and see the universe that I created? And you're looking in your bowl of Cheerios to find me? What are you doing? Listen, I think sometimes God does laugh at us and he realizes we're his children. Remember, it's the process. He's kind of just, okay, Gideon, I'll, I'll do the fleece thing for you, right? So, so I, think, I think God in his mercy and grace is, is helping Gideon. Now, let me, let's be careful. Can, can I just say, can I take another little rabbit trail here? I've been in church a long time. And some of you may remember this. Um, how many remember people saying, well, we're going to throw out a fleece for that and see if it really is the Lord? I mean, there's this thing when I was growing up in church where people can take this story and kind of take it out of context. And growing up, I heard people say in church, like, let's put out a fleece before the Lord and see if this is really from the Lord. You know, God, if you want me to have this job, then I'm going to get contacted today. We put these tests out, you know, God, if you want me to date this girl, then she's going to IM me today or want me to like her on Facebook or sent me a, you know, Facebook thing or Snapchat or whatever. And you're like, okay, then that must be God or, you know, God, if you want me to have this house and everything's going to come, you know, we kind of throw out this. Let, let's, can we be careful there a little let, Let's not take this story and then make it some type of teaching where we're always testing God. And we need to be careful not to make too much out of this and use it for something that God didn't intend it to be used. I think, let me be real specific here. I think what Gideon was doing was being very specific. He, he was, he was asking a very specific thing. Remember, Gideon had a very limited knowledge of God. We have the full scriptures to help us see the whole picture. Gideon didn't have it. Thank God we have the scriptures that can help us, guide us, give us wisdom. Gideon was weak in his faith and he wanted to know God. And I believe Gideon was building his faith and asking God to show him that he is God over nature. He wanted to know the nature of God and that he was sovereign over nature. So I think Gideon was really wanting to know more about God instead of just testing God. And, and I believe God was faithful and gracious to him. So let's be careful not to make too much out of that and, and, and take it somewhere that it, it shouldn't go. Do, do we need to pray and ask God for leading and wisdom in our hearts? Absolutely. And I believe through prayer and through instruction from other godly people and through God's word, um, we can pray. And, and James even said, listen, if you lack wisdom, pray for God who gives all wisdom in those situations. Talk to godly people about decisions that you have to make in your life. How many you know there's, there, there's great counsel, great counsel in, in, in the hands of the godly? And so if, if you're you know, thinking, well, what should I do here? Seek out godly counsel, people that you trust. Seek the Lord yourself. Allow God to speak to you through his word. God's not going to go against his word. He's not. He's not going to go against his very word. So if you're hearing something, listen, can I just be honest with you? Here's a great test. 
If it's goofy, it's probably goofy, okay? So write that down in your notes, okay? If it sounds weird and it sounds goofy, it probably is. And, and God, thank God for the Holy Spirit that gives us a discerning spirit for these things. God's not, a, he's not leaving you orphan or abandoned on these things. He wants to give you wisdom through his Holy Spirit to be discerning about these things. Okay, enough about that. That wasn't in my notes. That was free, by the way. Completely free to all of you here today. So, so Gideon was specific. He wanted to hear from the Lord. And so with that, what Gideon does is he moves forward. And so, so he seeks God with this decision and, and, and God answers him. And, and God wanted Gideon's assurance to come from him and him alone that it was completely God that was going to do this thing. Now, let me finish with this because here's what happens. Um, Gideon is feeling good. And Gideon gets 32,000 men to fight with him. Let's go, man. I heard from the Lord. I got my fleece here. Follow the fleece, okay? We're ready to go. I heard from God. I heard over and over. And, and people are behind him. He's got 32,000 men behind him saying, let's go do it. And all of a sudden, uh-oh, God says to Gideon, you got too many people. Gideon's like, what? I got too many people. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to have enough. We've been in oppression for, for seven years. They've got this great army. They're like locusts. And they got camels. We don't have camels. They got camels. We do not have camels, God. So I need every person that I can get. And what does God do? He says, way too many. Too many. And so here's what God is showing them again. You need to be delivered from self-assurance. So listen to what God says to him. Going to chapter 7. God, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. And I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So God is saying, okay, here's, are you, are you, are you trusting the process, Gideon? You got to trust the process here. Don't rely on your own strength. Don't rely on the strength of all these men. God knew that their self-assurance would be their enemy. He didn't want them to boast. He didn't want them to take any of the credit. God wanted all the glory to say, I'm going to be with you. God wanted the heart change. And so what happens is God says, you know, if you read the whole story, God brings them together. He takes them out to drink water. And he says, if men drink this way or that way, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, some men didn't drink the way God wanted them. And he said, okay, split all these men off. And all of a sudden, now you got all thousands of men that are leaving. And then God says, okay, it went down to like 22,000. And then God says, that's still too many until eventually God whittled down all, if you read through the scripture, read through the chapter, he whittles down 32,000 men to 300. 32,000 to 300. Have fun. Go, go ahead, Gideon, have fun with the 300 guys you have. And he says, now you get ready for battle. Now listen to what verse 12 says in Judges chapter 7. It says the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had now settled in the valley and they were thick as locust. All right, go go down there with the 300 guys. They're camels, they're camels. Camels are nasty by the way, aren't they? They just spit on you. If you ever rode on one, they are nasty. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Our walk with Christ is a process. All the way God told Gideon he would be with him. All the way. He told him through his presence. He told him through the fleece. He told him by whittling his men down. All the way God is with him. And now comes time for battle. God says, you're ready. And this is where it becomes difficult when we have to live it out, when we have to go through the battle itself. And once again, I love this, that God encourages Gideon one more time. Never, ever gives up on him. And he encourages him through a dream. And I love what God shows him here. Verses 15 and 16. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, 
he bowed down and worshiped before the Lord. That's where the battle is won. Is when you bow down and you worship the Lord. And you say, God, all I got is 300 guys and my fleece. That's all I got. God says, good. That's all you need. And what does he do? He bows down and begins to worship. The way Israel was going to win this battle was through worship. I love this. Watch what he says to him. This sounds absolutely nuts. So he bows down. He worships before the Lord. Then he returns to the Israelite camp and he shouts, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave, and gave each man a ram's horn and a, glade, and a, and a, clar, a clay jar with raspberry jam. In it. No, I'm just saying a clay jar with a, with a torch in it. So they all have trumpets and he divides them up and they have trumpets and they have these clay jars that they're going to smash. Getting, they, got, they got camels that no one can count. I've got a trumpet and a clay jar. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. That's what God told us to do. Are you ready? Let's do it. I want you to notice that the men trusted Gideon's commands. And so what they do is, is they take the 300 men, they smash the jars, they blow the trumpet, completely, if you read the rest of the story, and go ahead and read it, completely sends the Midianites into confusion where they begin to fight each other and then they pursue them and they win the battle. See, here's the takeaway. God always wins the battle. Our part is to trust and obey. See, what, what, what battle is before you today? Whatever it is. What battle is before you today? What are you fighting with? I first want you to discover, look within yourself. Are you battling? Is it, is it some disobedience within your heart? Is it, is it self-reliance? Is it self-assurance that you're battling with? Allow God to strip you from that. And the best way that you're going to battle whatever's before you is through worship. When you bow before the Lord and you say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to worship you through this and I'm going to trust you through the process and just realize it's a process that just because you may hear from the Lord, that doesn't mean it's going to be tough, that it's going to be clear sailing tomorrow or the next day. It may be rough, but God, all through the process, God speaks to you. And what he speaks to us is this promise that says, I will be with you. It, it may not make sense, but do you trust me through the process to believe that I'm going to be with you? Don't turn to fleshly things to fix spiritual things. And that's where we fight the battle incorrectly. We turn to fleshly things. We get angry. We get mad. We fight against other people. And we think this is what's going to change it. And we get more frustrated and more frustrated when God says, no, I just want you to get on your knees and worship me and let me speak to you. And that's what will give you the confidence and the boldness to move forward in God and to beat the battle of yourself. Remember, it wasn't the Midianites it was themselves. And God showed them that it's only through me that you're going to be able to win this battle. As weird as the battle was, and as strange as what God did for them, it was through worship that won that battle. So here's the thing. God wanted Gideon's heart more than anything else. And when we worship the Lord, we're giving God our heart. So as we come to communion today, let's give God our heart. Let's say, God, I need you to take control of my life and the things that I'm battling with. And as we worship God and we remember what Jesus Christ did for us, Jesus did everything for us through the atonement, through the cross, where he provided his own body for us, it's through his blood that we're cleansed and set free from our sin. Jesus says, I've done this for you. 
And so as we reflect on Jesus and what he's done for us, remember, Jesus has already won the battle for us. And we put our trust in him. And we worship him and we thank him for that. And then what Jesus says to us, he says, listen, I want your heart more than anything else. And I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And nothing's going to separate you from your love. The very thing he said to Gideon, I will be with you to the very ends of the earth. That's what he told his disciples. And it's the same for you and I when we trust the Lord. Amen. How many know life stinks at times? It just does, doesn't it? It's, it's life. And if anybody tells you different, just smack them. Just say, you're wrong. You're, it's not. But realize that through life's battles, we're not fighting alone. And that Christ is always with us. So let's worship him today. Amen. As the ushers come and they prepare to, to give you communion, we'll serve you at your seats and we'll take communion at the end together. Um, would you bow your hearts with me for just a moment? And let's just pray and ask God just to help us. Amen. Just make this a moment between you and the Lord. Father God, as we just come before you now, I, I, I don't want this moment to pass without reflecting on who you are and the struggles that we may be going through today, that individuals may be going through today. Lord, I pray that, that we wouldn't turn to the flesh or the things of this world that only destroy us and lead us further away from you. So Lord, if there's something in our lives that we need to submit to you, I pray that we would do that now. If there's something in our life that we are relying on ourselves in that's just not working, I pray that we would be broken of that self-reliance and self-assurance. And Lord, I just pray that through the process that you take us through, that you would just uh, reveal to us that we can trust you and that you're faithful and that you're never going to give up on us. I pray that you would speak that to every heart here today. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to worship you through life's difficulties, knowing that you're never going to leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from your love. So as we take communion today, we just we want to remember and reflect all the things that Jesus has done for us and how he became our substitute, how he paved the way so that our sin would not block us any longer from a relationship with the living God. And it's through Christ Jesus that we are set free, that we can have a right relationship with God and walk in that freedom today. So we celebrate that today, what you've done for us, Lord. So we thank you for your word today, and I pray we would just trust you and obey you and know that you are a trustworthy God. For it's in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name alone, we ask all these things. Amen.